Campfire Classics is a classic literature podcast. However, your hosts will occasionally use not-so-classy language and immature humor to describe very mature situations. As such, listener discretion is advised. Hi, I'm Ken Sandberg. And I'm Heather Michelle Lawler. Welcome to Campfire Classics, where we try to read those books that look really good on your shelf. Um, thank you for joining us this week as we are workshopping new theme songs. Uh, please do let us know what you thought of that one. I'm uh, pretty sure there was no copyright infringement. If there was, it was unintentional. Uh, just uh, yeah, go ahead and let us know. That's got to be old. Camptown um, Races? Yeah. yeah I, that, I, I think that's out. Of, that's in public domain. <laughs> I have no idea how old that song actually is. <laughs> I don't either. <laughs> um, so don't sue us. Yeah. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Campfire Classics. Yes. Um, it's been a busy week, and we're uh, we're excited to bring you a a new episode of Classic Tales. Always a delight. Uh, I do want to start this week's episode uh, right off the bat with a um, retraction slash correction. Okay. Um, uh, yesterday, not yesterday, a couple of days ago, mm. in the last few days, I was, uh, a couple of days ago, I was approached by a friend of the show, Doug, who pointed out to me that, uh, a stone as a unit of measurement is 14 pounds, not 20 pounds. Um, apparently at some point in the past, in one of our Two episodes, and a half years. <laughs> um, we have, uh. I, I incorrectly said that stone was 20 pounds. It is 14 pounds. So whatever episode it was <laughs> where we did that, when we then did math to see how heavy the thing was, subtract six times however many stone it was, and it's that many. Um, I was probably thinking of score. A score is 20. Ah, yes. That's why yeah. four score and seven years ago yeah. is 87 years. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway, oh, well. thank you. There's a correction. We love some corrections. Yeah. Um, and also be like Doug and tell five friends about Campfire Classics yeah. this week. He he's slaying that game. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Super fans. Yeah. And then it's we'll also, talk about you on the podcast. And also, that's cool. It's it's nice to get a correction from someone who's not my mother. <laughs> True. When you said you had a retraction, I'm like, what what did Jamie say today? <laughs> what did what did Jamie come forward and tell you today? Because yeah. Usually it's that, and yep. I've been gone at work all day, so I would have not been told, and maybe you were saving it up for this. But nope, nope we got we got other people that can keep us on track historically. That's so the frustrating thing about having a pseudo intellectual podcast is that sometimes your listeners are smarter than you. Well, I mean, we've been <laughs> recording for two and a half years, and we've had like maybe less than about ten, uh-huh. like. Corrections. That's pretty fucking good. That's not bad. <laughs> I'm not 
going to lie. That's that's pretty good. We do some decent research. Yeah. And no one can fault us for all the the yabbering we do. Bet- yabbering? Is that a word? In, jabbering? Yabbering? I don't know. I think it is officially <laughs> canon for what we do on Campfire Classics. Yeah, yabbering. Uh. Welcome to Campfire Classics, the world's first yabbering podcast. Yes. We read stories and we yabber. Yep. What was the word I used the other night where I was like, that's not a, that's not a word. We were, at, we were on date night at this amazing restaurant in Philly, a uh, Greek restaurant. And I said, intellectualizing, uh, intellect, I, I forget what no, I said. No, because intellectualize is, is a word. actually a word. I, I don't remember what I said, but I was like, I looked at you. I'm like, that's not a word. <laughs> so I like to make them up. Yeah. We know that. If you're, if you're a listener of this podcast, you are well aware of my ability to make some shit up. Well, see, that's actually part of yabbering. Is yes. It doesn't technically count as yabbering unless uh, at least 5% of what you say is made up. Okay. Okay, okay, okay. So, like, me and Shakespeare, we're the same. Yeah. <laughs> Shakespeare and I on the same level of, yeah. like, yeah, making yeah. shit up. Yeah, great, cool. I'm in good company. I'm yeah, cool so with Shakespeare, it. Yeah, so Shakespeare was actually the first, I will say, the first English language yabberer. Yes, there have been many yabberers, but, but Shakespeare was the OG yabberer. Yeah. <laughs> Fabulous. Yeah. Yabbering all day. I'm pretty sure Homer yabbered a lot, too, but oh, he was yeah. doing it in, in, in Greek. Greek so. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Yeah. Well, I'm in good company then. I, yeah. I'm all about it. Uh, so do you have anything else or do you just want to like jam on in? I mean, I didn't, I don't have any cannibalism I to talk about. I always just want to jam on in, but that is a whole other thing. Uh, <laughs> um, wow. <laughs> I mean, I could talk about a lot of things that have happened this week, but I mean, it's just been a busy week for both of us. Yeah. So... We're both kind of tired and, you know, but like stimulated at the same time. So it's somewhere in between. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm feeling very kind of sort of slappy tonight. Well, it was like me last night. Drained I tonight. Finished, uh, I had a like Zoom callback. And yeah. It had been a busy week and I like got done with it and I had a super high. And then I sat there for like half an hour where you were working on something. And by the time you came up, I was like, I am dead to the world. <laughs> like I was just like done. Um, but. You've continued that today, and I worked, so now we'll just bring you a podcast. This week's podcast brought to you by our sponsor, Yabber. Yabber. <laughs> Beware the Yabber walk. Oh. Uh, it's sort of a combination of yabbering and the Monty Python Ministry of Silly Walks. Ooh. Yeah. That, yeah that, 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 you know what? That's a really good description of our podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, what we do here at Campfire Classics is read short stories that we found out of the public domain. We discover them, pull them out of obscurity. No one has ever heard of any of these authors that we read, ever, without exception. Don't argue with me. Uh, Honestly, this week's, probably you have not heard of. Um, So we, we read these stories, we read them to you cold, having never seen them before. Uh, and we say stupid shit along the way. We yabber which along the way. will be a nice change from the last eight minutes where we've been saying <laughs> exclusively stupid shit without it getting broken up by well-written literature. Yes, exactly. So we, it, we like to uh, combine the stupid with the intellectual. Yeah. Uh, this week, Heather has chosen a story for me to read, but before we jump into it, she's going to give us a little bit of fun facty, backgroundy shit. 
Yes, so we do have a new author this week. Great. Who you probably have not heard of. So sometimes we do like H.P. Lovecraft or Edgar Allan Poe or our muse, Agatha Christie. Mm -hmm. But this week we have a new writer and her name is Dinah Maria Mulock. Hang on, there's a song about (laughs) Dinah. Well, there's, that's like Alice in Wonderland's cat. Yeah. Oh, Dinah. Oh, yeah. Dinah. Dinah, don't you know? Dinah, don't you blow your horn? Dinah, don't you blow? Dinah, won't you blow? Dinah, won't you blow your horn? Someone's in the kitchen with Dinah. Someone's in the kitchen, I know. Someone's in the kitchen with Dinah. Strumming on the old banjo. Wow, that uh, that just all flooded back to me. Wow. Yes. I knew knew it existed somewhere. Yeah. The second you said there's a song, I went, oh, yes, there is. (laughs) Someone's in the kitchen with Dinah. That is definitely in public domain. I mean, that's like an old Wild Westy song, I think. Yes. Before we jump into what's happening, though, I want to know where that song came from. Yeah, because it sounds like Dinah's up to no good in the kitchen. (laughs) And is strumming on the old banjo a euphemism? (laughs) I don't know. Apparently, Nat King Cole recorded it. Oh, that doesn't surprise me. I'm sure that sounds beautiful because everything he recorded just sounded beautiful. Um, But yeah, I wonder if strumming on the old banjo is a euphemism (laughs) now that I sing that song out loud. Because why are they in the kitchen and what he's strumming? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Is it part of I've Been Working on the Railroad? No, that's a different tune. I've I've been working working on on the railroad. Maybe. No, it's not. Uh, it is. Is it? It is part of the song, I've Been Working on the Railroad, as published in 1894. Wait, so was the, lyrics the guy are, working on the railroad and his wife's at home with someone in the kitchen? Blowing a horn. <laughs> blowing <laughs> blowing something. <laughs> Singing fee, fi, filio, fee, fi, filio, fee, fi, filio, strumming on the old banjo. Yeah, so it's, I've been working on the railroad all the live long day. I've been working on the railroad just to pass the time away. Can't you hear the whistle blowing? Rise up so early in the morning. Can't you hear the captain shouting, Dinah, blow your horn. Dinah, won't you blow? Dinah, won't you blow? Dinah, won't you blow your horn? Whoa, is this all a euphemism? (laughs) I I have no idea. Why is Dinah in the kitchen and she's blowing a horn? Yeah, and what does she have to do with the railroad? Yeah, what? Nope, the lyrics that... Is Dinah in the kitchen? Someone's in the kitchen with Dinah in there? Yeah. Oh, what? So why is Dinah Dinah blowing a horn? blow your horn. Someone's in the kitchen with Dinah. Someone's in the kitchen, I know. (laughs) Yep, it's right there. Well, um, something tells me that song has layers. (laughs) Yeah. That's probably one of those songs that started out as a as something completely different. Yeah, <laughs> that sounds nasty. Now that I think of all that put together, um, all right. Well, speak. Okay, so that I don't think this is that Dinah, though it could be because she was born in 1826. She would have been alive. Yeah. Yes. So uh, she was born on 420. Yes, yeah, <laughs> April was. 20th, 1826. Yeah, her and Hitler. Hitler was born on April 20th? Yeah. Ew. (laughs) Don't put her in that category. Ew, you just ruined it. (laughs) I mean, in fairness, it was her birthday first. It was her birthday first, and he came in and claimed it like he did all things. Yes, fucking men. Okay, so (laughs) she was born and raised in Stoke-on-Trent, not Stoke. 
stroke on Kent, <laughs> but stoke on Trent mm-hmm. um, in Staffordshire and, of course, in the um, middle of England. Right, so, right, 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 which is why it sounds like a made-up place. Yes, yes, it sounds like a mythical, yep. magical land because it's the middle of England. Uh, she was the first child of a very nonconformist preacher, among other things. Her father's name was Thomas, and her mom's name was also Dinah. <laughs> okay. Uh, Dinah Mulock, uh, Dinah Mellard was her, uh, maiden name. So she also had a couple twin brothers who were born four years later, and then that was her, the family. So, uh, Dinah Mulock's father, Thomas, was born in Dublin, so Irish. He was minor Irish gentry, so he had had some standing. He was, now get ready, a lawyer, a journalist, a merchant, a lecturer, a Baptist preacher, a pamphleteer, a secretary, a dabbler, never sticking to anything. So he was he um, also a yabberer. He, he, I think he yabbered a fuck ton. I noticed he was not a butcher, baker, or candlestick maker. No, no, he was. He was not. I am unimpressed. I mean, maybe he was, and they just ran out of space on this uh, this uh, Wikipedia page. <laughs> um, so as a young man, he was very handsome and a very brilliant speaker, so a great yabberer. Um, but he also was quite quarrelsome, incredibly stubborn. In fact, the poet Byron uh, dubbed him Muley Mulock. <laughs> And he was quite litigious as well. So her father was um, over the years in prison for libel, for debt, and for contempt of court. All right. So then. he was a special fella. And then he uh, married Dinah Mellard Mulock, um, who was a woman of very strong character, which we will see later in Dinah Jr.'s uh, life. So she wasn't married until she was over 30 years old. And this was her first marriage. So she met Thomas when he was lodging next door to her family where she was living with uh, two of her unmarried sisters and her widowed mother. So it was a house of four single badass ladies. Witches. Probably witches. Yeah, yeah. let's go there. Uh, I mean, it's the right time-ish. Um, if, if they'd been born 200 years earlier, yes, witches. Um Many believe it was uh, Mrs. Mulock who later in their marriage actually had Thomas committed um, because he was acting a fool and uh, was very unfit to support the family. Now, he was committed for a while and then came out. But he didn't end up leaving the family completely in 1844. So Dinah Jr., had a troublesome family life, but despite all this, they I mean, they did have some money because her mom came from a, a family that had, her father had been a very successful tanner. So she had some money, so she did get a very good education, and she loved art and writing. So her first publication was in 1841, and it was just a poem that appeared in the local newspaper. But she continued doing that. Um, so that, she was 19 when that started. She started writing poems, stories, and then four years later... At this point, her father has abandoned the family and her mother has passed away. So dad had abandoned the family in 1844, just kind of went away. Um, and mom passed away in 1845. So she published her first adult fiction titled The Ola Gives, um, which she dedicated to her mother. Now, this started a very long, very successful writing career. So after her first novel, she wrote 20-some other novels. 
Uh, many of them were a great success. Uh, the names were Head of the Family, Agatha's Husband. Um, she wrote a, a novel called Alice Lamont in 1852, which was a fairy story about uh, fairy story. And then she wrote another book called King Arthur, Not a Love Story, <laughs> which was published in 1886. Uh, she also published numerous collections of short stories. Uh, her uh, biggest novel that is still read a lot today that um, some people who are literary people might know is called John Halifax, Gentleman. And that came okay. out in 1865. It is one of the rare books of the time which portrays a tradesman as the hero. So the book is a lesson of virtue and prosperity and deals with practicality. Now, as I mentioned earlier, Dinah's strong-ass, badass mother kind of influenced her life. So she was um, considered a very early feminist. So she wrote a collection of, she put together a collection of articles called A Woman's Thoughts About Women. And it was her thoughts on women in this time. So mid-1800s we're, we're sitting at. So she wrote a book about the single woman's problems and the courage it takes to be an independent woman. Factors like friendship, gossip, worldliness, happiness, and aging are the need of the woman. Now, her thought was to consider humans first and then differentiate between a male and a female. So... Very similar to uh, what I talk about all day in the Betsy Ross house of like Quakers believed men and women were equal. So women received education and were considered equal and they should pursue a career and stuff like that. Quakers mostly left England by this time. Right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. 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 Um, actually, a couple of. Oh, her books, yeah. Like 200 years earlier. Yeah. yeah. Um, a couple of her books actually dealt with um, Quakers um, in when I was doing my research. So uh, as kind of like the heroes. So she clearly looked up to them. Um, this collection was initially published in the Edinburgh Journal, <laughs> the Edinburgh Journal uh, between the 2nd of May and the 19th of December in 1857. But later it was compiled into a book in 1858. So that is A Woman's Thoughts About Women. And there were a lot of amazing uh, things during my research about her being incredibly like independent incredibly strong like very outspoken about being uh, an independent woman and wanting women to have equality cool which is fucking great um because this is a, i mean this is like around the time of like the grimke sisters and like the first women's movement in america starting um so that's that's really cool that she was doing that across the pond um she did eventually marry in 1865 so she had had a very successful career at this point and she was almost 40 years old she was 39 years old when mm -hmm. she married for the first time and uh his name was george lily craic so she became dinah maria mulock craic because she kept her name um after her marriage she continued her career she continued to write stories and novels nothing changed um she kept cranking them out um, and I could go on a list, but she just kept writing, writing, writing. Um, in 1869, her and her husband uh, adopted George's niece, Dorothy, because she had been, it didn't really go into detail. I'm guessing she'd been um, uh, not widowed. <laughs> it's, uh, she'd been left without her parents or her parents were... Orphaned. Orphaned. There's the word. Where did that go? I was like, there's like another widowed, word for that. You know, you know, widowed for the kids. <laughs> widowed for children. Like Batman. Or like Oliver. 
Yes. Um, so orphaned is the word I was searching for in my brain. Um, but yeah, so they adopted that their uh, the daughter. And then, uh, so she was basically raised by them. And then, unfortunately, Dinah died while preparing for this adopted daughter's wedding many, many years later, uh, 18 years later, on October 12th, due to a heart attack. Oh, no, she died on my birthday. Yes, she did. <laughs> Planning a wedding. <laughs> I think anyone who's recently planned a wedding, uh, Ashley, are you listening to me, anyone? Uh, you probably understand <laughs> This yeah, poor woman. Stress just got to her. Yeah, it's like, oh, God. So her Hate last words it. have been quoted and were published that say, oh, I wish I could have lived four weeks longer, but no matter, no matter. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> she went, well, well, um, I'm guessing the wedding was supposed to be was in, four, in weeks. four weeks. Yeah. So that is sad. But she she did. She was working up until her last days. Um and uh, she was a, remembered as a very respected, very acceptable, benevolent, non-judgmental, generous person. She had written not only about women's perspective, but also about humanity. She believed in the idea of humans rather than differenti- di- di- differentiating from gender and society. So kind of a cool. badass, progressive yeah. lady that we have not covered before. So that's Diana it's Dinah Maria Mulock Craig. And today, you're going to be reading one of her short stories that is entitled The Last House in the Sea. Dot, 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 dot. <laughs> dot, 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 dot. It's an extra long ellipses. It's, well, it's like a dash. Like, it's the last house in the sea. And I was like, oh my God, is it my favorite word? And I'm like, no, there's four dashes. So. Oh, like the letter C. Yes. And it's, okay, sorry. The last house in the C dash, 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 dash street. Oh, okay. So we don't know the mystery street, um, but it's the last house in the C street. Yeah. By Diana or Dinah. I keep calling her Diana. By Dinah Mulock. All right. Let's start this fire. Let's do it. The Last House in Sea Street by Mrs. Dinah Maria Mullock Crake. I am not a believer in ghosts in general. I see no good in them. They come, that is, are reported to come so irrelevantly, purposelessly, so ridiculously, in short, that one's common sense as regards this world, one's supernatural sense of the other, are alike revolted. So she's a skeptic. Then, nine out of ten capital ghost stories are so easily accounted for, and in the tenth, when all natural explanation fails, one who has discovered the extraordinary difficulty there is in all society in getting hold of that very slippery article called a fact is strongly inclined to shake a dubious head, ejaculating... Evidence! A question of evidence! (laughs) I love when they ejaculate screaming, Evidence! A question of evidence! (laughs) You know what? Whatever it takes to get you there, I am in favor of. Whoever's screaming evidence when they're ejaculating is a very, very uh, um, type A person. (laughs) Like... 
Very. It could be an awkward next morning conversation. Hey, babe, I'm sorry I was screaming evidence. <laughs> be like, sweetie, just... you do that all the time. What? <laughs> but my unbelief springs from no dogged or contemptuous skepticism as to the possibility, however great the improbability, of that strange impression upon or communication to spirit in matter from spirit wholly immaterialized, which is vulgarly called a ghost. There is no credulity more blind, no ignorance more childish than that of the sage who tries to measure heaven and earth and the things under the earth with the small two-foot rule of his own brains. Dare we presume to argue concerning any mystery of the universe, it is inexplicable and therefore impossible? Okay, so it's like, okay, I might not really believe in ghosts, but, like, who am I to say that they don't exist? Because how no human being can possibly uh, grasp the infinites of the universe. That is some wild-ass, like, progressive thinking right now. She's she's just, she's agnostic about the supernatural. Yeah. It's, uh, what's this, uh, it's the line, uh, um, Horatio... Um, in there are more things in heaven and earth that are dreamt of in your philosophies. Yes. Yes. So there you go. Love it. My favorite yabberer. Premising these opinions, though simply as opinions, I am about to relate what I must confess is to me a thorough ghost story. Its external and circumstantial evidence being indisputable, while its psychological causes and results, though not easy of explanation, are still more difficult to be explained away. The ghost, like Hamlet's, was an honest ghost. Whoa! Whoa! That was fucking weird! From her daughter, an old lady who, bless her good and gentle memory, has since learned the secrets of all things, I learnt this veritable tale. Okay, that was fucking weird. Um, I love when that happens on this yep. podcast, when I, like, say something out loud, and then, uh, or you say something out loud, and then, like, we a sentence later, it, like, Reference ties. a thing, and then it comes yeah. up in the story, yeah. It's like, whoa! That means I understood the references. <laughs> I'm smart. <laughs> I just need to point out, I know we've pointed this out, I don't know, two dozen times. Two dozen times. Over the 170-something stories yeah. we've done here. Um, it always cracks me up when a story begins, I don't believe in this shit, and y'all are going to think I'm crazy, but, but here's my story. Yeah, but I love that, because, like, honestly, I prefer... So when I watch, like, any paranormal investigation or any, like, when I listen to ghost stories on podcasts or whatever, I prefer when the person doing the investigating or doing the uh, storytelling is a skeptic because they are less likely to just be, like, when they hear a scary noise, oh, it's a ghost. They want, they, they do everything to, like, to completely, uh... Sure, because they're looking for evidence. (laughs) Evidence. Good job. Yeah, coming right back to it. Yes. They're looking for evidence. Oh, that was awkward. <laughs> but yay. So I'm excited for this one. But yes. 
My dear, said Mrs. MacArthur to me, it was in the early days of table moving when young folk ridiculed and elder folk were shocked at the notion of calling up one's departed ancestors into one's dinner table and learning the wonders of the angelic world by the bobbing of a hat or the twirling of a plate. My dear, continued the old lady, I do not like playing at ghosts. <laughs> Why not? Do you believe in them? A little. Did you ever see one? Never. But once I heard... She looked serious, as if she hardly liked to speak about it, either from a sense of awe or from a fear of ridicule. But no one could have laughed at any illusions of the gentle old lady who never uttered a harsh or satirical word to a living soul. And this evident awe was rather remarkable in one who had a large stock of common sense, little wonder, and no ideality. <laughs> so she was smart and didn't deal and with boring. bullshit. Yeah, she's like, nope, nope, I say nope. I was rather curious to hear MacArthur's ghost story. My dear, it was a long time ago, so long that you may fancy I forget and confuse the circumstances, but I do not. Sometimes I think one recollects more clearly things that happened in one's teens, I was 18 that year, than a great many nearer events. And besides, I had other reasons for remembering vividly everything belonging to this time. For I was in love, you must know. Core memories. Mm -hmm. Yep. They're stamped on you. She looked at me with a mild, deprecating smile, as if hoping my youthfulness would not consider the thing so very impossible or ridiculous. <laughs> no, I was all interest at once. I love that when people see, like some people see old people and they're like, how could they ever have been young and, and my age? And then you, like, of course they were. <laughs> like, Everyone was. Everyone was, and vice versa. When you're young, you look like at old people, and you're like, I could never be old. <laughs> like, if you do it right, you will be. Yeah, uh, yeah. That's what you want. <laughs> In love with Mr. MacArthur, I said, scarcely as a question, being at that Arcadian time of life when one takes as a natural necessity and believes as an undoubted truth that everybody marries his or her first love. <laughs> no, my dear, not with Mr. MacArthur. Ooh, scandal. I was so astonished, so completely dumbfounded, for I had woven a sort of ideal round my good old friend, that I suffered Mrs. MacArthur to knit in silence for a full five minutes. My surprise was not lessened when she said with a little smile, he was a young gentleman of good parts. <laughs> Nasty, yeah. I love that they sat there in silence for five minutes and then she starts again like, yeah, he had good parts. She's like in her own brain now, like, ooh, I remember. <laughs> And he was very fond of me, too. Proud, too, rather. 
For though you might not think it, my dear, I was actually a beauty in those days. <laughs> I had very little doubt of it. The slight, lithe figure, the tiny hands and feet. If you had walked behind Mrs. MacArthur, you might have taken her for a young woman still. Das. Certainly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Certainly people lived slower and easier in the last generation than in ours. Ain't that the truth? That hasn't changed. <laughs> yeah. That has continued to progress. Yeah. I mean, the world has gotten quicker and faster and faster yeah. and faster, and that's why everyone's on anxiety medication now. Um, well, that and because people seek help for anxiety. Well, well, <laughs> and, but it's like actually like honestly like they, they say it's more people they're actually starting to like be able to track it in brain chemistry mm -hmm. and it's being born into people because the world has gotten so fast sure i just also know oh yes. many adults in my life of the baby boomer generation yes. who absolutely should have been diagnosed yes. with and medicated for anxiety but it wasn't a, but it wasn't okay no and then you were just you know considered um what's hysterical was the word yes hysterical uh, i think a bitch is the word that <laughs> uh, that's still absolutely used um and incorrectly <laughs> yes i was the beauty of bath mr everest fell in love with me there i was much gratified for i had been reading miss burney's cecilia and i thought him exactly like mortimer delville a very pretty tale cecilia did you ever read it no and to arrive at her tale i leaped to the only conclusion which could reconcile the two facts of her having a lover named everest and being now mrs macarthur was it his ghost you saw? <laughs> did you fall in love with a ghost? <laughs> well, or did he die and you saw his ghost later? Yes, but that's like... I would assume she was That's going. where she's going with yeah. the story. Okay, I was like... Well, was where like, she was going with the question. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But like, that's pretty funny. Is yeah. it like, were you in love with a ghost? Was he your imaginary friend when you were growing up? Did he look like Patrick Swayze? <laughs> Aww, a ghost, yeah. Aww, I love him. <laughs> No, my dear, no, thank goodness, he is still alive. He calls here sometimes. He has been a good friend to our family. Ah, with a slow shake of the head, half pleased, half pensive. You would hardly believe, my dear, what a very pretty fellow he was. One could scarcely smile at the odd phrase pertaining to last-century novels and to the loves of our great-grandmothers. I listened patiently to the wandering reminiscences which still further delayed the ghost story. But, Mrs. MacArthur, was it in Bath that you saw or heard what you think you were going to tell me? The ghost, you know? <laughs> It's like, okay, old lady. Um, yeah, yeah, boys are cute. Tell me the fucking story. This is, this is a cute love story, but you promised me ghosts, so that's why I'm still here. 
Don't call it that. It sounds as if you were laughing at it. And you must not, for it is really true, as true as that I sit here, an old lady of seventy-five, and that then I was a young gentlewoman of eighteen. Nay, my dear, I will tell you all about it. She's like, patience. We had been staying in London, my father and mother, Mr. Everest and I. He had persuaded them to take me. He wanted to show me a little of the world, though it was but a narrow world, my dear, for he was a law student living poorly and working hard. He took lodging for us near the temple in C Street, the last house there, looking on to the river. He was very fond of the river, and often of evenings when his work was too heavy to let him take us to Ranley or to the play, he used to walk with my father and mother and me up and down the temple gardens. Were you ever in the temple gardens? It is a pretty place now, a quiet gray nook in the midst of noise and bustle. The stars look wonderful through those great trees, but still, it is not like what it was then, when I was a girl. Ah, no, impossible. <laughs> It was in the temple gardens, my dear, that I remember we took our last walk, my mother, Mr. Everest, and I, before she went home to bath, as she was very anxious and restless to go, being too delicate for London gaieties. Besides, she had a large family at home, of which I was the eldest, and we were anxiously expecting the youngest in a month or two. Nevertheless, my dear mother had gone about with me, taken me to all the shows and sights that I, a hearty and happy girl, longed to see, and entered into them with almost as great enjoyment as my own. I love that we were talking about anxiety, and they just Mom's used the word anxious twice. Anxious and apparently pregnant. Yes, well, that makes sense, because yep. especially, I mean, it's still, you know, a delicate thing, but... 200 years ago, uh, pregnancy was a very anxious thing yeah. <laughs> for lots of reasons, uh, even more than it is today. Oh, Lord. Hey, listener, side tangent. We just started watching House of the uh, Dragon. Well, well, I just started I watching Heather's he rewatching away. it. Yeah. And, oh, that first speaking episode. of speaking of pregnancy being a yeah, without spoilers, anxiety thing. Yeah, without I mean, spoilers, it's very uh, beautifully done, but also very upsetting. But tonight she was pale, rather grave, and steadfastly bent on returning home. We did all we could to persuade her to the contrary, for on the next night but one was to have been the crowning treat of all our London pleasures. We were to see Hamlet at Drury Lane with John Kemble and Sarah Siddons. We Think learned of about that, them. my dear... We learned about them in theater history. Uh-huh. <laughs> and all the Hamlet came up again. Oh, the synchronicities are weird. Well, I mean, clearly it's why she made the comparison to Hamlet, because Hamlet is in the story. Well, yes, yeah. but also, like, we kind of predicted that. Yeah. And the anxiety thing, all the synchronicities. Oh, it's meant to be. I'm getting goose, goose pimples. <laughs> Spooky. We were to see Hamlet at Drury Lane with John Kemble and Sarah Siddons. Think of that, my dear. Ah, oh, 
Why you have no such sights now? Even my grave father longed to go and urged in his mild way that we should put off our departure, but my mother was determined. At last, Mr. Everest said, and I could show you the very spot where he stood with the river, it was high water, lapping against the wall and the evening sun shining on the Southwark houses opposite. He said, it was very wrong, of course, my dear, but then he was in love and might be excused. Madam, he said, it is the first time I ever knew you think of yourself alone. Uh, myself, Edmund, pardon me, but would it not be possible for you to return home, leaving behind for two days only Mr. Thwaite and Mistress Dorothy? Leave them behind, leave them behind, she mused over the words. What say you, Dorothy? I was silent. In very truth, I had never been parted from her in all my life. It had never crossed my mind to wish to part from her or to enjoy any pleasure without her till, till within the last three months. Mother, don't suppose I... But here I caught sight of Mr. Everest and stopped. Pray continue, Mistress Dorothy. No, I could not. He looked so vexed, so hurt. And we had been so happy together. Also, we might not meet again for years, for the journey between London and Bath was then a serious one even to lovers, and he worked very hard, had few pleasures in his life. It did indeed seem almost selfish of my mother. Though my lips said nothing, perhaps my sad eyes said only too much, and my mother felt it. Oh, Mama's like, oh, she's in love, and I don't want to tear her away from her love. It's a good mama. Perhaps we'll see. We don't know what she's going to well, do. Well, I, I have, I, I have a few theories on what is going to happen, but I feel like Mama's about to be like, yes, go be with him. But and then stuff, bad stuff's going to happen. But that's you know my theory. She walked with us a few yards, slowly and thoughtfully. I could see her now, with her pale, tired face under the cherry-colored ribbons of her hood. She had been very handsome as a young woman, and was most sweet-looking still, my dear good mother. <laughs> she was. Like, she's probably 30. <laughs> 35. She has an 18-year-old. Yeah, she has an 18-year-old. She's the, not 30. Yeah, so she's like 35, 40 yeah. at the most. It's like, she was pretty. Well, they did say this, uh, Dinah was uh, talked about aging in, as a woman mm -hmm. a lot, and how it was like frowned upon almost, yeah. Dorothy, we will no more discuss this. I am very sorry, but I must go home. However, I will persuade your father to remain with you till the week's end. Are you satisfied? No, was the first filial impulse of my heart. But Mr. Everest pressed my arm with such an entreating look that almost against my will, I answered yes. She thirsty. <laughs> She's like, oh, he touched me. You, you remember that when you were like in high school, when you were like 18 years old and like, 
uh, someone you were like very into like just brushed you I mean like still I mean when we like recording <laughs> it was like so like <laughs> you're just like yeah <laughs> yep Mr. Everest overwhelmed my mother with his delight and gratitude. She walked up and down for some time longer, leaning on his arm. She was very fond of him, then stood looking on the river upwards and downwards. I suppose this is my last walk in London. Thank you for all the care you have taken of me, and when I am gone home, mind, oh mind, Edmund, that you take special care of Dorothy. These words and the tone in which they were spoken fixed themselves on my mind. First from gratitude, not unmingled with regret, as if I had not been so considerate to her as she to me. Afterwards, but we often err, my dear, in dwelling too much on that word. We finite creatures have only to deal with now, nothing whatever to do with afterwards. Okay, Buddha. <laughs> So, like, like, live in the moment. Like, we must live in the present. We cannot... That She's very uh, philosophical. There's, there's a lot of philosophy in this, A lot yeah. of philosophy with the Hamlet and all. I mean, it's, it's very smart. I'm, I'm impressed. In this case, I have ceased to blame myself or others. Whatever was being passed was right to be and could not have been otherwise. It's the what if poem. It's the what if poem by Shel Silverstein that I love and I'm so connected to and I have such like a uh, philosophical debate with myself and everything every day about it. It's like you can't sit there and go, what if I had done this? Because it's over. Yeah. And so what happened was what was supposed to happen to make you the person you are now. What, no, even when you go through hard things. Oh my God, I love this. <laughs> Dinah's my girl. <laughs> my mother went home next morning alone. We were to follow in a few days, though she would not allow us to fix any time. Her departure was so hurried that I remember nothing about it, save her answer to my father's urgent desire, almost command, that if anything was amiss, she would immediately let him know. Under all circumstances, wife, he reiterated, this you promise? I promise. I don't like this. I don't like it. <laughs> Though when she was gone, he declared she need not have said it so earnestly, since we should be at home almost as soon as the slow bath coach could take her and bring us a letter. And besides, there is nothing likely to happen, but he fidgeted a good deal being unused to her absence in their happy wedded life. He was, like most men, glad to blame anybody but himself, and the whole day and the next was cross at intervals with both Edmund and me, but we bore it, and patiently. Wow. <laughs> I think she has opinions. It will be all right when we get him to the theater. He has no real cause for anxiety about her. What a dear woman she is, and a precious... Your mother, Dorothy. 
I rejoiced to hear my lover speak thus, and thought there hardly ever was young gentlewoman so blessed as I. It does sound a little too good to be true. Well, it would be a shitty story if it just kept on going like this. So happy, and then be like, why'd they break up? Oh, wait, this shit definitely did not go wrong. And is it going to happen at Hamlet? Because that'd be fucked up. (laughs) Did she just see a really good production of Hamlet and and thought thought the ghost ghost was real? (laughs) I hope so. I hope that's it. (laughs) She missed the point. No, I I have proof that ghosts are real. I do. I no, I do. Have you seen the movie The Frighteners? I haven't. <laughs> Shit, is Wait. there a better? Have you seen the movie Casper? <laughs> oh no. That's my proof oh, that ghosts no. are real. I've seen Casper. <laughs> Have you seen any of the Scooby-Doo shows? Scooby-Doo. Except, of course, none of those ghosts no, are actually Scooby-Doo real. is just proof that all ghosts are crusty are, old are white men. old white men. <laughs> those meddling kids. We went to the play. Ah, you know nothing of what a play is nowadays. You never saw John Kemble and Mrs. Siddons. Though in dresses and shows it was far inferior to the hamlet you took me to see last week, my dear, and though I perfectly well remember being on the point of laughing when the most solemn scene it became clearly evident that the ghost had been drinking. (laughs) Strangely enough, no after-events connected therewith, nothing subsequent ever drove from my mind the vivid impression of this, my first play. Strange, also, that the play should have been Hamlet. Do you think that Shakespeare believed in in what people call ghosts? I could not say, but I thought Mrs. MacArthur's ghost very long <laughs> in coming. <laughs> That's funny in a lot of ways. <laughs> Bitch, get to the point. Oh my god, this I is... will choke you. <laughs> this story is as long as Hamlet. <laughs> Let's get to the fucking point. <laughs> I'm enjoying it, but I, I understand why she's like, um, you promised me a ghost story and you're just telling me about your little jaunty trip to London. Don't, my dear, don't do anything but laugh at it. She was visibly affected, and it was not without an effort that she proceeded in her story. I wish you to understand exactly my position that night. A young girl, her head full of the enchantment of the stage, her heart of something not less engrossing. Mr. Everest had supped with us, leaving us both in the best of spirits. Indeed, my father had gone to bed laughing heartily at the remembrance of the antics of Mr. Grimaldi, which had almost obliterated the Queen and Hamlet from his memory, on which the ridiculous always took a far stronger hold than the awful or sublime. Isn't Mr. Grimaldi one of the clowns that we've done yes, in Clown Corner? Absolutely. So he probably played the poor, uh, the poor, not the porter, um, the, the, the one of the grave diggers. Or like 
or, or Rosencrantz or Guildenstern or the or the leading player or Polonius. I mean, like, yeah, there's a, there's there a, a lot, lot of clown roles. There's a lot of great roles in there that he yeah. could have filled, but that's that's kind of amazing. Yeah, that that's such a. There we go. Clown Corner officially taught us something, I won't say useful, but literarily relevant. There you go. <laughs> I was sitting, let me see, at the window chatting with my maid, Patty, who was brushing the powder out of my hair. The window was open halfway and looking out on the Thames. And the summer night being very warm and starry made it almost like sitting out of doors. There was none of the awe given by the solitude of a midnight closed room, when every sound is magnified and every shadow seems alive. As I said, we had been chatting and laughing, for Patty and I were both very young, and she had a sweetheart, too. She, like every one of our household, was a warm admirer of Mr. Everest, I had just been half scolding, half smiling at her praises of him when St. Paul's great clock came booming over the silent river. Eleven, counted Patty. Terrible late we be, Mistress Dorothy. Not like bath hours, I reckon. Mother will have been in bed an hour ago, said I, with a little self-reproach at not having thought of her till now. The next minute my maid and I both started up with a simultaneous exclamation. Did you hear that? Yes, a bat flying against the window, but the lattices are open, Mistress Dorothy. So they were. And there was no bird or bat or living thing about, only the quiet summer night, the river, and the stars. Uh-oh. I be certain sure I heard it, and I think it was like, just a bit like somebody tapping. Uh-oh, the raven's here. <laughs> Nonsense, Patty. But it had struck me thus, though I said it was a bat. It was exactly like the sound of fingers against a pane, very soft, gentle fingers, such as, in passing into her flower garden, my mother used often to tap outside the schoolroom casement at home. Oh, I don't like it. <laughs> I wonder, did father hear anything? It, uh, the bird, you know, Patty, might have flown at his window, too. Oh, Mistress Dorothy, Patty would not be deceived. I gave her the brush to finish my hair, but her hand shook too much. I shut the window, and we both sat down, facing it. At that minute, distinct, clear, and unmistakable, like a person giving a summons in passing by, we heard once more the tapping on the pane. But nothing was seen. Not a single shadow came between us and the open air, the bright starlight. Startled I was and awed. But I was not frightened. The sound gave me even an inexplicable delight, but I had hardly time to recognize my feelings, still less to analyze them, when a loud cry came from my father's room. Dolly! Dolly! 
Now, my mother and I had both one name, but he always gave her the old-fashioned pet name. I was invariably Dorothy. Interesting that she gave the mother and her the same name, because her mother and We're both her Dinah. have the same name. Yeah. And they're both D names. That's interesting. Still, I did not pause to think, but ran to his locked door and answered. It was a long time before he took any notice, though I heard him talking to himself and moaning. He was subject to bad dreams, especially before his attacks of gout, so my first alarm lightened. I stood listening, knocking at intervals, until at last he replied. "'What do you want, child?' "'Is anything the matter, father?' Nothing. Go to thy bed, Dorothy. Did you not call? Uh, do you want anyone? Not thee. Oh, Dolly, my poor Dolly. And he seemed to be almost sobbing. Why did I let thee leave? Father, you are not going to be ill? Is it not the gout, is it? For that was the time when he wanted my mother most, and indeed when he was wholly unmanageable by anyone but her. Boys being sick. <laughs> it's like, I can't do it. I've heard gout is nasty. Uh, it's also the rich man's disease. Yeah. Yes, I've, I'm sure it is very nasty. Ben Franklin had it. Yeah. <laughs> Go away. Get to thy bed, girl. I don't want ye. Okay, Dad. Bye. <laughs> I thought he was angry with me for having been in some sort of cause of our delay and retired very miserable. Paddy and I sat up a good while longer discussing the dreary prospect of my father's having a fit of the gout here in London lodgings with only us to nurse him and my mother away. Our alarm was so great that we quite forgot the curious circumstance which had first attacked us till Patty spoke up from her bed on the floor. I hope Master beant going to be very ill and that, you know, came for a warning. Do you think it was a bird, Mistress Dorothy? Very likely. Now, Patty, let us go to sleep. Uh-uh, Mama's haunting them already. <laughs> but I did not. For all night, I heard my father groaning at intervals. I was certain it was the gout, and wished from the bottom of my heart that we had gone home with Mother. What was my surprise when, quite early, I heard him rise and go down just as if nothing was ailing him. I found him sitting at the breakfast table in his traveling coat, looking very haggard and miserable, but evidently bent on a journey. Father, you are not going to bath. Yes, I be. Not till the evening coach starts, I cried, alarmed. We can't, you know. I'll take the post-chaise, then. We must be off in an hour. Oh. <laughs> an hour? The cruel pain of parting, my dear, I believe I used to feel things keenly when I was young, <laughs> shot through me, through and through. A single hour, and I should have to say goodbye to Edmund. 
one of those heartbreaking farewells when we seem to leave half of our poor young life behind us, forgetting that the only real parting is when there is no love left to part from. A few years, and I wondered how I could have crept away and wept in such intolerable agony at the mere bidding goodbye to Edmund. Edmund, who loved me. She's having a Juliet moment. Yeah. Or a Jane Austen moment. Well, yeah. Any, any of those romance moments where it's like, I will never feel so sad as I do right now. It's like, oh, you sweet summer child. <laughs> Every minute seemed a day till he came in, as usual, to breakfast. My red eyes and my father's corded trunk explained all. Dr. Thwaite, you are not going. Yes, I be, repeated my father. He sat moodily, leaning on the table, and would not taste his breakfast. Not till night, coach, surely. I was to take you and Mistress Dorothy to see Mr. Benjamin West, the king's painter. Let kings and painters alone, lad. I be going home to my dolly. Mr. Everest used many arguments, gay and grave, upon which I hung with earnest conviction and hope. He made things so clear always. He was a man of much brighter parts than my father, and had great influence over him. He is a lawyer. <laughs> yeah. Good at arguing. Yep. Although comparing your lover's parts to your father's parts is a little creepy. <laughs> I hope those were different parts than she was talking about earlier. <laughs> Dorothy, he whispered, help me to persuade the doctor. It is so little time, I beg for, only a few hours, and before so long a parting. I longer than he thought, or I. Children, cried my father at last, you are a couple of fools. Wait till you have been married twenty years. I must go to my dolly. I know there is something amiss at home. I should have felt alarmed, but I saw Mr. Everest smile, and besides I was yet glowing under his fond look as my father spoke of our being married twenty years. <laughs> father... You have surely no reason for thinking this. If you have, tell us. My father just lifted his head and looked me woefully in the face. Dorothy, last night, as sure as I see you now, I saw your mother. Is that all? cried Mr. Everest, laughing. Why, my good sir, of course you did. You were dreaming. I had not gone to sleep. How did you see her? Coming into the room, just as she used to do in the bedroom at home, with the candle in her hand and the baby asleep on her arm. How did she speak? asked Mr. Everest with another rather satirical smile. Remember, you saw Hamlet last night. Indeed, sir, indeed, Dorothy. It was a mere dream. I do not believe in ghosts. It would be an insult to common sense, to human wisdom, nay, even to divinity itself. Oh, well, now that you brought up Jesus, you know, 
<laughs> Edmund spoke so earnestly, so justly, so affectionately that perforce I agreed, and even my father became to feel rather ashamed of his own weakness. He, a physician, the head of a family, to yield to mere superstitious fancy, springing, probably, from a hot supper and an overexcited brain. To the same cause, Mr. Everest attributed the other incident, which, somewhat hesitatingly, I told him. The bird. Dear, it was a bird. Nothing but a bird. One flew in at my window last spring. It had hurt itself, and I kept it, and nursed it, and petted it. <laughs> it was such a pretty, gentle little thing. It put me in mind of Dorothy. I put it on TikTok, and people like watched me nurse it back to health. And then I was a hero, and I became famous. <laughs> There's a lot of those videos on TikTok. Yeah. And yes, you should nurse baby animals back to health. But yeah, if they're hurt. Yeah. Yeah. Take care of the babies. Take care of the babies. Did it, said I, and at last it got well and flew away. Ah, that was not like Dorothy. Thus my father being persuaded, it was not hard to persuade me. We settled to remain till evening, Edmund and I, and my maid Patty went about together, chiefly in Mr. West's gallery, and in the quiet shade of our favorite temple gardens. And if for those four stolen hours and the sweetness in them I afterwards suffered untold remorse and bitterness, I have entirely forgiven myself, as I know my dear mother would have forgiven me long ago. Oh, shit. I knew it. Mrs. MacArthur stopped, wiped her eyes, and then continued, speaking more in the matter-of-fact way that old people speak than she had been lately doing. Well, my dear, where was I? In the Temple Gardens. Yes, yes. Well, we came home to dinner. My father always enjoyed his dinner and his nap afterwards. He had nearly recovered himself now, only looked tired from loss of rest. Edmund and I sat in the window, watching the barges and the wherries down the Thames. There were no steamboats then, you know. Someone knocked at the door with a message for my father, no. but he slept so heavily he did not hear. Mr. Everest went to see what it was. I stood at the window. I remember mechanically watching the red sail of a Margate hoy that was going down the river, and thinking with a sharp pang how dark the room seemed in a moment, with Edmund not there. Re-entering after a somewhat long absence, he never looked at me, but went straight to my father. Sir, it is almost time for you to start. Oh, Edmund. There is a coach at the door, and pardon me, sir, but I think you should travel quickly. My father sprang to his feet. Dear sir, indeed there is no need for anxiety now, but I have received news. You have another little daughter, sir, and... Dolly! My Dolly! Without another word, my father rushed away without his hat, leaped into the post-chaise that was waiting, and drove off. Edmund, I gasped. My poor little girl. My own Dorothy. 
by the tenderness of his embrace, not lover-like, but brother-like, by his tears, for I could feel them on my neck, I knew, as well as if he had told me, that I should never see my dear mother any more. She had died in childbirth, continued the old lady after a long pause. Died at night, at the very hour and minute when I had heard the tapping on the window pane, and my father had thought he saw her coming into his room with a baby on her arm. Was the baby dead too? They thought so then, but it afterwards revived. Mm. What a strange story. I do not ask you to believe in it. How and why and what it was, I cannot tell. I only know that it assuredly was so. And Mr. Everest, I inquired, after some hesitation. The old lady shook her head. Ah, my dear, you will soon learn how very, very seldom one marries one's first love. After that day, I did not see Mr. Everest for twenty years. How wrong, how... Don't blame him. It was not his fault. You see, after that time, my father took a prejudice against him, not unnatural, perhaps, and... She was not there to make things straight. Besides, my own conscience was very sore, and there were six children at home, and a little baby had no mother. So at last I made up my mind. I should have loved him just the same if we had waited twenty years, but he could not see things so. Don't blame him, my dear, don't blame him. It was as well, perhaps, as things turned out. Did he marry? Yes, after a few years, and loved his wife dearly. When I was about one and thirty, I married Mr. MacArthur, so neither of us was unhappy, you see, at least not more so than most people, and we became sincere friends afterwards. Mr. and Mrs. Everest come to see me almost every Sunday. Why, you foolish child, you are not crying. I, I was. But scarcely at the ghost story. The end. Oh, God. That's so sad. We're both, like, tearing up right now. That was so beautiful. <laughs> that one took me uh, a couple extra breaths to get through the end of. Yeah. Oh, my God. What a... Oh, my God. <laughs> Whoa. Wow. Okay. All right. Well, fuck, Dinah. Blow your horn. <laughs> <laughs> Dinah, you were cooking something good in that kitchen. Oh my god, that was that was fucking gorgeous. Wow. <laughs> I mean, that's that's like some Jane Austen emotional like yeah, hurt that, that, was right there. Um, yeah, that that hit right at the end in a way that I wasn't quite prepared for. And I even saw like that the mother was passing. Like I, I, like I, because we knew it was a ghost story. 
they were setting it up like, okay, yeah. mom's leaving something, and then like the thing happened. But like, I wasn't prepared for like the twist of like that. It wasn't the ghost story that was actually the focus of the story. Yeah. It was like what life happens. Yeah. Sometimes life happens and disrupts. And it is, well, and and, it's okay. And like, it's, it's, it's just, the thing of, so the, the ghost story, yeah, was not the central story. The ghost story was just like. The, the precipice for beginning a, a tale. A yeah. piece of, um, it was a piece of it. Yeah. And it was, it was a thing where the, the, the traumatic events in the story were the mother's death and the breakup. Yeah. Not the appearance not the of the appearance ghost. the appearance of the mother, like of them feeling like. I mean, uh, I've, I mean, I don't know if you've ever experienced, I have when somebody's, somebody close to you is in pain or somebody close to you is passed, like you almost feel it before it happens. Um, or you feel them within the next day if you found out they passed, like, um, that is quite common actually. Um, but yeah, it was, it was more a tale of, of innocence and growing up into like things sometimes things happen yeah. and it, it 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 alters your life but very going back to like the what if thing of she was like i i'm not i'm not sad about it it is what it is we became very good friends we both lived wonderful lives um i'm happy now I'm, and i'm the I'm person i am today because of of what happened and yeah. of course he is happy because you know what happened um the whole like rarely do we marry our first loves that's such a like thing that most i think pretty much anyone listening to this podcast unless you married like your high school sweetheart like yeah. which are very rare um very rare um that you understand deeply and you feel that like guttural thing and yeah and it's probably good for most of for us most that well, we yes. didn't yes for um, most people and like some people's first love wasn't high school like my, yeah. Mine wasn't like I was barely even dating in high school. I was like, boys, boys are fun. Like anyone who's listening who knew me in high school. Hey, Lindsay, uh, <laughs> you know, we used to listen to on my own and cry about like these boys that wouldn't go on dates with us. <laughs> like We were so broken. I'll be we were, on my own forever. Yeah, We were Eponines. I was an Eponine in high school for real. I was such a like the boy. Like I was like everyone's friend. And then I find out, you know, like five, ten years later, they all actually had a crush on me. That kind of situation. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, well, fuck. <laughs> But no, oh my God, that was... There's a reason that it is a stereotype of 90s movies that the girl who's friends with yes. all the guys, all of the guys are actually secretly in love with mm -hmm. her. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and I'm still very good friends with most of those people, but like, um, that was so beautiful. Like, re like I'm like, I was not prepared. <laughs> Cause I like, I was like, I want to do a story from someone we haven't heard. Yeah. And I, I actually looked up ghost stories in the public domain and saw a lot of familiar names. And then I saw this name and I was like, huh, I wonder how long that was. Looked at the yeah. word count, went, oh, okay. That'll work. And it was actually the second story of hers that I looked at. The other one was a little bit uh, short. Um, and this one was right on par. And, yeah. I, and like, so I was expecting spooky ghost story. There was a bit of that. And there was, but it was just fucking beautiful. It was well-crafted oh. because the tension of expectation around the, the ghost story ended up making the gut shot at the end hit a little harder. Yeah. Because it was, um, 
not the type of resolution you are expecting. Yeah. Yeah. Which is what got the um the woman in the story as well. The woman she's telling the yeah. story to. Yeah. Like she's expecting a ghost story and it is very impatient, impatient. Yeah. Like, tell me the ghost story, tell me the ghost story. It doesn't realize she's being told this like stunning, beautiful, yeah. like story by this woman who remembers it as if it was yesterday. And, yeah. Oh, that was good. Hey, campers, what did you think of that story? Did you enjoy that one? Uh, go ahead and shoot us an email and let us know what you thought at 5050artsproduction at gmail.com or find us on any of the social medias at Campfire Classics Podcast. And um, when you shoot us that email, let us know what you thought. Uh, if, if you want to record a, a um, audio message of you singing I've Been Working on the Railroad, uh, I would just enjoy the hell out of that. So please do. And um, when you email, go ahead and include this week's secret passcode, which is ejaculating evidence. (laughs) That was in the first paragraph. (laughs) I love when you get to ejaculate. Well, no, that's not right. I was going to say, I love when you get to the ejaculating really fast. Nice and early. (laughs) Uh, Anything else? No, I'm I'm just... uh... I'm I, I I'm I'm digging Miss Dinah Maria Mulock Crick. Yeah. That's all. That was that was lovely. All right. Well, thank you for joining us this week and until next week, this has been Campfire Classics where we try to read those books that look really good on your shelf. 